super, super exciting news. Let me first introduce myself for anyone that's new watching on TV or here with us for the first time. My name is Eddie. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Bible Church. And this is our new building that is being erected as we speak. It's going to be in the Sa Isidro. Now, if you're wondering when is this going to be ready, we're thinking about April 2022. We're not holding anybody to that because as you know with any building there's delays and so we're hoping that by April 2022 maybe by Easter we'll be celebrating in there so that's all good good news. I want to remind us of our vision here at Grace Bible Church and that is to lead our city into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. That is our mission. The vision, how we're going to accomplish that is we as a church want to plant several campuses throughout Laredo. Every zip code will hear about Grace Bible Church, God's great news that he's done through his son Jesus Christ. And this San Isidro campus will be the main building. What's going to happen here, this building is going to remain as a Spanish-speaking ministry, Somos Grace. Pastor Adrian is going to be the campus pastor here. The English ministry... <laughs> The English ministry will be moving to the main campus, which is a San Isidro campus. And then soon, and all we want to do here at Grace Bible Church is disciple and disciple and disciple. Bring up future leaders, future pastors, so we can do as Acts tells us to do, send and plant. At Tamiu, Mines Road, South Side, East Side, I don't know, all sides, right? But let me, let me be very clear. No matter what campus you attend at Grace Bible Church, every single campus will always, always preach from the Bible. Always God's word and nothing else. And Grace Bible Church will always preach the gospel. Faith alone in Christ alone and nothing else. And just another reminder, no matter what campus we belong to, we're one big church, one family, different locations. Exciting. Thank you guys so much for your support, for your service. We can't do this without you. And God is doing great things as long as we continue to be faithful and obedient. Talking about being faithful and obedient, guys, let me, let me ask you if you can relate with me. There's plenty of times during the summer that my wife decides to clean out our closet. And I get home and there's a whole bunch of my clothes on the bed. And she starts pointing out certain things. Picks up a shirt. Really, dude? You're still wearing this? Yeah, but I feel comfortable. It's got holes. It's stained. It's torn. It's dirty. And these shorts, they don't fit you. Yeah, yeah, but give me a couple of weeks. It's my motivation. I'm going to lose weight. It's been a year. And what about these jeans? They're too baggy. That's out of style. You're not MC Hammer. Oh, you guys know who MC Hammer is, right? Don't touch this. That's corny. I know. That's not the style anymore. Now it's more trim. It's more slim. It's all these things, right? Get with the times. I, I mentioned these things because in the same fashion as we've been going over the book of Colossians last week, Paul reminds us to get rid of some of our dirty clothes. We are no longer that person. Get rid of that sinful nature. You are no longer that. Get with the style, the style of living with Christ. Put on a new clothes as we're going to see today in Colossians chapter 3. Wear this. If there's been a change in you, then don't wear your sinful nature. Put on his righteousness and act 
like a Christian. Be a Christian by wearing these certain things as we're going to see today. My sermon point for you guys this morning, we're going to flesh out, is simply this. My life is an outward manifestation of the inward transformation in Christ. We must reflect Christ in us on how we lived, how we act, what we say. We need to be a light in a community that's so dark. So if you got your Bibles with you, please open them up to Colossians chapter 3. We're continuing where we dropped off last week. We're picking up on verse 12. We are going to have the verses on the screen behind me. But I do encourage you to open up God's word for yourself and read and underline and take notes. He begins by saying this, put on then. Now literally those words put on, it's, he's talking about clothing. Put these on. Make a decision to put on, and he says the following, as God's chosen ones, holy and be loved. So right off the bat in this verse, Paul is reminding all believers who we are in Christ. He begins with that. He says three things. He says, you are God's chosen ones. You have been selected. In theology, it's called the doctrine of election. You have been chosen. Church, hear me. You and I did not choose God. As a matter of fact, the Bible is so clear that we, because of our sinful nature, buck against God. We are going the wrong direction and God said, ah, 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 I got you. We have been elected. You know what the beauty of this is? Before anything was made, God chose you, God chose me, God chose anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. Turn to me to Ephesians. Tur turn with me to Ephesians 1, verse 4. I think it's so clear and there's other scripture as well that, that clarify this. Even as he chose us. He, who is that he? God. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. Before God. Let's not forget the last two words. In love. So we are chosen. Let's remember that. And then he goes on and says, we are holy. We are set apart. We are separated from others for God. You and I have a purpose. And that is to glorify God. We have been set apart. That's what holy means. Peter puts it this way, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, there's that word again, chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In the Old Testament, God chose Israel as his holy nature, a nation in the same manner. In the New Testament, we are that chosen nation. We are that nation that's been set apart, a people set apart to be his light. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Beautiful truths. We are chosen. We are holy, set apart. Remember, all this is because he loves us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him should never, never perish, but have eternal life. So Paul says, because this is who you are, 
Now he's going to tell us what we need to put on. Verse 12b again. So he says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You guys know I'm a big number guy and I, and I put on my Bible these numbers. And look what he says. He says, put on these six things plus one. He mentions six things plus one. You're probably saying, why not saying seven? Because this last one, the seventh one, he puts a command to it. We'll see that in a minute. Let's go over these again slowly to, to fully understand what each of these clothing, each of these characteristics really mean. He says, put on compassionate hearts. It means to have mercy, to have sympathy. It means for us to put on other people's shoes. He says, put on kindness. Now check this out. This doesn't only mean, ah, mira que linda gente, he's so nice. No, no, no. It's an action. It's to do something kind for someone. That's what he's saying. Put on kindness. Do something. Don't just talk about it. Do it. And then he says, put on humility. And I think, I hope we all know what that means. Really don't consider anyone, anyone that you are better than them. Everyone should be, you should be a servant to others. Humble yourself. God's word is full of that. Don't be prideful. Be humble. He says, put on meekness. It's to be gentle, not to be harsh. And here is the idea of someone, a person who, who rather takes suffering than give out suffering. That's what he's saying here. And then he's saying also put on patience. Now check this out. Patience here in the original language in Greek doesn't only say be patient. Husbands, like you're being patient. Uh, we're going to be late to church. Hurry up, right, with your wives. It doesn't mean to be patient like I struggle with all the time. I'm behind a car, the green light already went, and the guy's not moving. It not only means that, what it literally means is to be calm in a situation where it's chaos all around you. It means that no matter the whole world is crumbling before you, you've got patience. You've got peace. That's what Paul is saying for you and me to put on. And then he says... Forbear one another, endure with one another, be patient with one another, love one another, is what he's saying. Six things we are to put on plus one. Let's go back. Put on, because it's so important. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness and patience. Bearing with one another, number six. And if one has a complaint against another, here is a plus one, here is a standalone, here is the seventh one. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also, I capitalized it on purpose, must, must forgive. Not an option. We must forgive. I, I need to camp here for a little bit. Because Paul separated this last characteristic. I know because I know that maybe some of you sitting here or watching on TV have unforgiveness in your heart. I know it. Someone in your family probably hurt you. Maybe a boss, maybe a friend, maybe a parent, maybe your children. And they continue to do you harm. And you're like, how can I? 
And you're probably sitting here, Pastor, if you knew the harm that they did for me, my spouse cheated on me, my boss fired me, my good friend stole from me, and you want me to forgive? God's word says, if you have been forgiven, because he has forgiven you through his son, Jesus Christ, we must forgive. You're sitting here saying, no, 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 if you only knew, Pastor. And if I gave you the opportunity to stand up and say how horribly someone has treated you, how bad they've had hurt you, we'd probably agree. We'd say, you know what, that's horrible. How could your brother do that to you? How can your sister do that to you? your child, your mom, right? But at the end of your testimony, we would have to tell you, but you have to forgive. I don't want to spend too much time here. There's a lot in God's word that talks about forgiveness. And we will, we will talk about it because we preach God's word and it will come up. But let me just leave us with these two things. First of all, if you don't forgive, if you have this anger in you, you are harming yourself more than anyone else. You are literally killing yourself. You have to come before God and say, this anger, this revenge that I want, this hatred, this unforgiveness, I'm laying at the feet of your son, Jesus Christ. The second thing, and there's a huge misunderstanding, forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. God doesn't call us to forget. It doesn't mean, okay, I forgive you. Okay, it's all right. Come on, it's all right. It's all right that you're still stealing from me. It's all right that you're still hurting me. No, no, no. But without forgiveness, you cannot take that first step into reconciliation if there's a step to reconciliation. But, I'm going to say it again because it's right there, we must forgive. Let me move on. So after Paul says what we need to put on, he says, you know what, above all else, this is going to tie everything together. Above all else, put on love. Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I was in the Spanish, I preached the Spanish ministry at 9 a.m. And this is what I told him. Esto es lo que amarra todo. It's like a belt. Puts it all together. Ties it all up. Because you know what, church? If we don't put on love, if we don't have love, we can't be compassionate. We can't be humble. humble. We can't be kind. We can definitely not forgive. So Paul says, above all else, be united in the body of Christ and love. And that's why Paul also mentions in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says this, now faith, hope, and love abide. All these three are so important. But check this out. But the greatest of these three is love. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, says this, chapter 13, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. All people will know that you are my followers. All people will know that you are Christians if you have love for one another. We must put on love above all else to bind everything in unity. Recap. Paul tells us we're this, these things in Christ. Let's not forget that. Chosen, set apart, holy, and loved. And then he tells us, because you are this new creation in Christ, put on these things. And now he's going to tell us how we need to live. How to be that manifestation of the transformation that Christ did in us. Three things he's going to mention. First of all, he's going to say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be, what does he say? Be what? Thankful. Now this word rule in Greek innotates to let the peace of Christ control your being. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ control how you act, control how you react. That's what he's saying. The second thing, he's saying submerge yourself in God's word. Make God's word a priority. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. Richly dwell in you. Paul is saying don't let the word of God just be a visitor in your house, in your heart. Don't let the word of God just hang out in your house during a season. Don't let it be a guest that only sleeps on the sofa bed and is there for a week or two or maybe a month and you get rid of it. And then he comes back in. No, no. He's saying let the word of God live with you permanently. Let the word of God be a priority in your life, all your life. Submerge yourself in that. And then last, Paul says, everything we do, let it glorify God. Verse 17 and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving what? Thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do, we need to bring glory to God. Paul mentions the same thing in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all do all to the glory of God. If you're not sure, church, what I, sh what I should see, if you're not sure, church, what I should do, what I should say, ask yourself, will this bring glory to God? Is my way of speaking and living glorifying God? That's what he's saying. You know, I'm uh, reminded in the Gospels of the story that occurred over 2,000 years ago. It was a Friday morning in April, most believe. And Punchin's Pilate was brought two men. One man dressed in black. One man sinful to the core. A prideful man. An unforgiving man. A man that was not meek, literally a murderer, sinful. That man's name was Barabbas. The other man that stood before Christ, I mean for, before Pilate that morning, was totally opposite. Dressed in white with bloodstains. Humble, meek, compassionate. Forgiving to his last breath. That man's name is Jesus. And see, Pilate had to make a choice that morning. He had to release one man and send the other to the cross. And I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the story. That 
morning, he set Barabbas free. And see, what should have happened is Barabbas should have gone to the cross. Church, you and I, we're Barabbas. We, because of our sinful nature, should have gone to the cross. But that morning, Jesus said, nope. I'm going to go. That is my Father's will. And he went. In the same manner, Jesus went to the cross and paid the punishment that you and I should have paid. The wrath of God fell upon him. We should have received that wrath. And you know what the beauty of this is as well? Is that anyone who trusts Jesus Christ, trusts in his heart, that Christ died on the cross and on the third day he rose again. And we believe in our heart that that was sufficient to pay for all our sins. And nothing else could do that. When we believe that, you know what the Bible says? His righteousness, Jesus' white clothing is imputed onto us. And our sinful nature, he gets to wear. It's very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake... He made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, if that doesn't bring you to your knees, if that doesn't make you say, thank you, Jesus, that you did what you did for me, that I'm the one that deserved the punishment. Thank you, Jesus, that you took it on my behalf. There's no coincidence, church, ever. And Paul says this three times in three different verses, and that's why I made you or asked you to say it out loud. He says, be thankful three times. Three different verses at the end. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Verse 15. Let the word of God dwell in you. Sing with thankfulness. And everything you do, give thanks to God our Father. As always, as I prepare for a sermon and I read God's word, man, the Holy Spirit convicts me to the core. And I realized now more than ever, how ungrateful I am. I am. And I don't know if you can relate. But if you're like me, I wake up in the morning saying, man, I got to do this, I got to do that. And I should say, well, thank you, God, that I can do this and I could do that. If you're like me, my prayer is, God, can you give me this? Can you give me that? Instead of saying, thank you that my children are alive, that I am married, that I have life in my breath. We need to be thankful. We need to make a decision to every day put on the characteristics and be like Christ. Thanking Him that the Holy Spirit allows us to do that. To put on meekness, humility. To be compassionate. To be patient. And above all else, love one another and forgive. Imagine what kind of church we would be if we truly lived our lives with thanksgiving. Truly being a reflection to others. Imagine the impact, because others would notice, others would see. I know it's my prayer, and I know it's God's will, and I think, and I believe it's your prayer as well, that no matter what campus we are, 
people will say, now he or she loves Christ. By the way we talk, by the way we act, glorifying him, saying, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks and praise for everything you've done and everything you do. Father, we are nothing without you. Let us be a church, let us be your church of grateful hearts. Help us, Father, put on daily what we just read. Let us truly be a light to a community. Let us not be like everyone else, but be different. Loving all people and pointing them to Jesus Christ. And just telling them of the awesomeness and the goodness. And that our lives always reflect how thankful we are for your son, for your mercy, for who you are. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. I love you, church. God bless you.